Blog Talk Radio. Close all university departments for black, Latino, women, gender, queer studies and so forth as incompatible with science and dismiss its faculties as intellectual imposters or scoundrels. As well, demand that all affirmative action commissars, diversity and human resource officers from universities on down to schools and kindergartens be thrown out onto the street and be forced to learn some useful trade. Six, crush the anti-fascist mob. The transvaluation of all values throughout the West, the invention of ever more victim groups, the spread of affirmative action programs, and the relentless promotion of political correctness has led to the rise of an anti-fascist mob, tacitly supported and indirectly funded by the ruling elites this self-described mob of social justice warriors has taken upon itself the task of escalating the fight against white privilege through deliberate acts of terror directed against anyone and anything deemed racist, right-wing, fascist, reactionary, incorrigible, or unreconstructed. Such enemies of progress are physically Episode 2 of Punching Left, uh, The Red Pill on Centrism, and discussion about Jordan Peterson. Of course, I'm Clifton Knox, and I have David German with me. How are you doing tonight, David? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I think uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out here on this show, at the very end of last season... Uh, we had an episode with Anthony Samaroff uh, from the Scottish Liberty podcast on. We had a little bit of, him and I went back and forth a little bit uh, uh, regarding trade and tariffs. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I, I don't have a problem with debating Anthony on this show if he wants to come back on. And maybe, David, you can sort of act as our moderator. Or... Um, <laughs> You know, another 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 platform if if that's what needs to be done. But I don't have a problem with debating him on the issue of trade and tariffs and the markets again. I mean, for the most part, I'm a I'm a person who believes in unfettered capitalism, laissez-faire. But you know, I realize that those positions have to be nuanced in in a real world. You you can't you can't stick we, to we don't ideological have, we don't live in principles a world. and purity. What's that, David? We don't live in. We don't live in a world where it's um, free market capitalism all over and everybody's been turned on to the ideas of pure reason, pure capitalism as the ideal. We live in a world um, that's uh, not precise, that people have free will and, and they act as the truth. Uh, some people have chosen to um, use the ideas of Marxist communism, which has a socialist um Calculation problem, as Mises pointed out. Um, should we trade with people who have a less valuable product and put 
uh, strain on your economy uh, by having a less valuable product being injected into your economy, causing a uh, uh, causing a uh, unbalance in your market. Right, I, I I completely agree. I mean, when when they manu see see if if you view the world go. Before we move on, you know, I, I don't have a problem debating them on any other pl- on any platform. Uh, I, I do think that one of the things we have to realize is that how much we talk doesn't necessarily signify whether we win the debate or not. What wins the debate, or or who, or you know, salient who makes salient points. So, yeah, back to what you were saying, David. Um, really, honestly, I mean, either way, it just it, the, the whole the whole free market no tariff debate or argument doesn't work out very well, because if you have a a borderless world, every government you know when it comes to goods, then every government in the world that wants to uh, initiate interference in the economy, economy basically can uh, distort the economy. So if you have no ability to control the goods coming in and out of your nation, then, for instance, a communist nation, well, they're basically their economic calculation problem is your economic calculation problem. And at that point, now all of a sudden you, you essentially are suffering the issues caused by communism, even though it's not your government that's communist. Uh, so, and, yeah. and if you have borders and you have trade like that and you have your market segmented off like most nations do, and you allow um, – uh, unfettered importation of goods with the economic calculation problem, then you're allowing your nation's market to be distorted. So, so essentially, communist goods produced in a communist nation uh, distort whatever market they they move into, and they cause damage. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yes, it's just like the immigration issue, the open border. Um, we have to let uh, we have to uh, use. Uh, we have to appeal to these principles that um, everybody's just a blank slate individual, and so everybody should just be let in. We could just cut because it's the right thing to do. Uh, but we realize that um, uh, people uh, are not blank slates. People are a result of their culture, and culture, is, according to race realist theory, is a genetic expression. And when, when you're injecting... Um, different genetics um, into a population that doesn't have the same genetics as you do, you're putting uh, their culture and their values into um, your society, uh, especially if it's unbalanced, if it's uh, you bring in uh, importing so many, so many people into your system. It's the same way with uh, it, with the economic issue, we're uh, we're importing these uh, bad products. Uh, it doesn't matter. We just got to lay down and be principled because um, because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because it's the right thing to do. And you know, and your point, I think, is well taken. You know, we have people who are coming to this country who do not have um, uh, values that we do. They do not share a libertarian type values for the ideas of free free yeah. association free expression free speech a, a right to uh, practice the religion you want etc and you're injecting them into this country and expecting it to turn out the, you know you're some reason once they hit our environment they're going to change and i think your point is pretty is pretty good when you say 
uh, genetics. Gene- we know that genetics uh, makes a big difference in people's behavior and how they react. And you know, cultures cultures has is related to genetics. We know this now too. So when you bring in people from other nations, uh, one of the reasons why they're inclined to hang on to that old culture, even though it's essentially a shitholer culture, uh, and they try to bring it here, and then they try to make the United States look like their shithole culture, is because that's their preference, and it's a genetic thing, partially, at least partially. Um, so when you look at that, you know, they're essentially you, – when you import foreigners from other incompatible societies, you're importing problems into your society. And when you import goods from some of those incompatible societies, communist societies, um, they have an economic calculation problem. You're importing their problems into your market. And I think that's a good point that you make there. I mean, you did, yeah. What, what, is it, what is it that you think um, – I mean, do you, do you think that – what is your feeling on goods produced in foreign – I mean, should we import them at all? Should we just uh, should we put tariffs on them and try to rectify some of the economic calculation problem? I mean, what what would you think we maybe could do to to rectify that issue? Any tariffs, uh, or um, in the most ideal sense, we would have a um, basically a country of colonies where um, like something in the line of um, something within Hoppy in theory, like. Uh, my idea was um, ultra monarchism, um, mm-hmm. and, and under such that under that system, uh, you don't you wouldn't have to trade with them at all if you didn't want to. But that's that's only an ideal, not not practical yet. But right. But yeah, on the other hand, tariff them. Um, sure. Yeah, and try to try to offset that a little bit, right? Try to try to fix to a certain degree, at least protect. Try to put up a little bit of protection to true. If China wants to be to goods manufacturing. Go ahead. If China wants to fight us to the end, then we should just isolate them. Yeah, I mean, if if they're importing goods that are causing problems in our economy, then then we should. There's no reason why we shouldn't want to protect. Our economy, you know, our they, our, our market uh, from they, the distortions they that appeal, they're creating. They just they just tried to appeal the the World Trade Organization that United States is placing unfair tariffs on us. Hmm. <laughs> right. Which I think and the Trump US said, is Trump trying said, to pull out of that. Trump said, um, "Go ahead." If they if China um, if, they, if China's appeal works for pulling out of the WTO. Right. If, right. If and the I WTO think it's, were I think to do one, right one thing, thing to do. if the WTO were to do one one thing about that, we're leaving. That's what Trump said. I, I yeah. Well, I, I honestly, I think I think you've got to look out for the United States. You've got to do what's best for the U.S. when it comes right down to it. Um, we got to do what's best for the individual. So, <laughs> well, you know, so so. Going back to that, so so you know, I don't mind debating the issue. I I, I really I like Anthony Samaroff, and he, he and I are still you know we're we're friends. I mean, every every so often friends have a little have a little dis, little disagreement. There's nothing wrong with a little disagreement among friends, especially when you're friendly with each other like he and I are. So, uh, like I said, I like him quite a bit. Um, but our our real our real topic tonight 
is a little bit of a combination of a couple of things that you and I have been discussing privately over the last week or two. Uh, the, the idea of centrism and then a look at, at someone like Jordan Peterson, uh, who is right now seems to be a darling on uh, on the right. Uh, and, and in my Except opinion, um, I'm not sure that he is really always cracked up to be, though, though I think he, he makes a lot of good, good points. I, I'm not sure that he's cracked up to, to be all he's supposed to be. They say he is. What do you think about Jordan Peterson, David? Spoiler alert, he's not right wing. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. Well, so so you and I have talked a lot about leftism, and I think one of the things that we've kind of come to the conclusion on after many discussions is that in a lot of ways, leftism is really not the problem, as it were, not not the the main problem. And I think that, that we've sort of come to the conclusion the left, the left that centrism is, a, is – what's that? The left is a significant problem, but it's not the they most are. significant problem. The most significant problem are the moderates, and they have been – they're the glo- they're the main globalists. They have been for a long time, and many – as much people on the right as on the quote-unquote left um, – are the are just as are just as bad as each other. That's that's why they are just as bad as each other. They're globalists and they're centrists all the way around. Well, well people, I think one of the things that you look at when you say moderate, I mean you really you you really mean centrist. So that's what you're trying to say is that it's, the centrists are. Yeah. But I mean I mean the centrists end up in the long run when it, the way it plays out, they end up taking to the left when it's all said and done, allying up with the left against the right, right? As you said, they defend, degeneracy. they defend degeneracy when they're defending the left. They uh, certainly like, do, and it's kind of it's kind of messed up. When it comes to black and white decisions, uh, where there's lack of gray area, they usually, largely, end up to taking the leftist position on an issue. They certainly yeah, that's true. And and one of the things that you find is there are areas one of the big differences between the right and the left is that the right has a tendency to take positions based on fact usually. A lot less emotional in their decision making about uh, political political positions. And the left now, now I know there's some, some people on the right who who do get emotional, but the, typically I, I find it to be that the right is more often than not rational. So when you have one side that as of late has been almost completely irrational, which is the left, and the other side, which has been very rational, uh, which is the new right, the alt-right, and, and, and the right in general. And you have the centrists who are constantly saying, oh, no, you know, all of our positions are valid. We all have to, you know, every, uh, there's valid position. Everybody's valid. Well, no, they're not, Okay. If you start talking about things like socialism that we've seen fail now repeatedly for we're getting close to a hundred years, um, and you start telling me that the left, who constantly advocates more Marxism and socialism, that that and and the right, which is advocating free markets, that the left is uh, uh, has valid points, you're, you're defending a, an irrational position. 
you're basically placing yourself on the left. Even if you're defending some of the rights positions, you're still defending irrationality part of the time. And if you're telling me you're half communist, we got a problem because there's no such thing. You're either a communist or you're not. Wouldn't you say that that kind of hits the nail on the head? They'll they'll say that's not being truly philosophical. Mm. But it, it but it really okay. but it really is it. yeah it's move it's shifting the goalposts. And and when I say yeah it shifts the goalposts to the left away from rationality. Yeah. So so when when they say something like that like well you're not being truly philosophical what's my favorite question David? Why? That I ask why. I find that it's a very simple question, and, and Thomas Sowell, his, the other thing that he does, he asks three questions when, when uh, the left starts pulling okay. things out. But that one question right there, quite often not, will will punch a hole straight through a uh, leftist argument. Um, <clears throat> you know, so I don't know. So, so that's where I come to my point that centrism, centrists almost always end up becoming apologists for the left. You you agree with that to at least some, don't you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I'm just for the ideas of balance. I I want um, hmm. I see both sides, but they're not really taking a position because that's tactical. They'll, right. they'll take a position when it when it's necessary. Or they'll take a position when it's convenient. Mm-hmm. Now, I I find centrists to be disgusting. If I were to pick, if if I had to pick somebody to be my friend, uh, quite often I would rather actually be friends with a leftist than I would with a centrist. Centrist. I was about to ask you things that make a. What's that? You were about to ask me that. Well, I mean, yeah, seriously. Seriously, one of the things you just now pointed out is that centrists have no spine, all right? They, they don't want conflict. They're constantly to do anything, even, even defend an irrational position in order to try and mediate and end conflict. Um, and most of your democratic, your democratic politicians, politicians in a democracy, I'm not talking party, Anybody who's running for office, what's the goal? The goal is to appeal to the most people and offend the least people. And you do that by trying to find the most central positions you can find and so that you <clears throat> don't actually advocate anything, but you don't actually completely um, uh, eschew anything. And so what happens is you basically end up with this milk toast politician, and when they get in office – Every consideration, every decision they make is on how to, to, to do the most while offending the least and making the most happy. And so they, they don't think in terms of what's the best thing to do. They think in terms of how can I offend the least people and make the greatest number happy at the same time. And so they're always seeking out a centrist position, and this explains why we have all the problems we have in the United States today. Because all of these politicians which are running for office are always seeking to be in as much exactly to the bullseye center as they can get. Wouldn't you think that that would be the case? And doesn't it appear to be the case anecdotally to you? Oh, yes, it, especially anecdotally. Uh, they think that they're not 
radical at all. Um, and but they call another position radical, and it's um, like like Tom, referring back to Thomas Sowell compared to what? Compared to what? So do you think that it's possible to try to be a centrist so hard that you become a radical centrist? Oh yes, they. they I pretty much believe um, they all are. Uh, they call everyone else radical, but I think it's just a projection. <laughs> right, right. Well, they're, I mean, they're, think about they're it. not the true. They're not true pragmatists. But, they're always catering to the left. Any moderate, anecdotally, I've come across has said um, they they'll like um, they'll they'll just take a position because like. Like the Federal Reserve, uh, I don't agree with all its policies, but uh, regulating the money supply should be a job of government in some way. Right. So, so they try to straddle the fence on that issue. Yeah. And and you notice another thing they do, like for instance, we start talking about how you know one of the practices they do. Well, everybody gets a trophy. Why do you think that is? Because they don't want to have to pick winners and losers because it requires them to take a side. That's not a leftist position. I'm sorry to tell people. That's a centrist position. They're trying to get in the middle between those who won and those who lost and make sure that nobody has hurt feelings. And if they give the winner a trophy, he's happy because he got a trophy, right? Supposedly. If they give the loser a trophy, he's happy because he got a trophy too. So what happens is everybody's supposed to be happy. But what they've done is they've completely destroyed the incentive to win. And and in a way, that's socialism as well. So what yeah. we often call the left is really extreme centrism slash moderatism. I mean, these guys are trying to, to make as – like I said, make as many people happy and as few pissed off. So you it's take that – I mean, really, really bad. Areas, really. Go ahead. Can it's you really, think of any really other bad areas um, where they've done stuff like that. It's really, really bad utilitarianism. It is, it is, and that's what's got us where we are right now. Is essentially utilitarian, utilitarian thinking. Now, I'm not saying that there's no room for consequentialist thinking at times, but it can't be the center of every decision you make, and you can't take it to the point. Well, that it starts to break down society. Well, yeah, because it breaks down society. If if nobody wins or ever wins or loses, and nothing's ever better or worse, then how do you measure anything? How do we know when society is getting better, when we're getting wealthier, when we're feeling better as a group? How do we know when when life our life has gotten better? How, we don't. There's no way to tell because we can't measure anything because we got to stay in the center. Isn't 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 a a, a point you made um, that um, people who make the most um, fundamental arguments, as opposed to a, a more complex argument, tend to actually be more intelligent? The people who make the most fundamental arguments, like and, uh, yes, yes, and and the reason I say that is because. They have a tendency to be more rational, and often they see the problem. They don't – they're more intelligent people often, 
often have a tendency to accept the right answer and not allow emotions to always get in their way. Now, this isn't always true. I've seen a lot of very intelligent people who are very much irrational, which is hilarious. But but the point is, yeah, I mean, to see that to meet those kind of people and talk to them is hilarious. But the point is, is that the people who get things done in this world, the people who who do what's right for society, for themselves, for their families, and and do a good job of it, uh, when they're trying to go out and do things to 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 better those areas, family, society, whatever, uh, they look for simple solutions that that will actually fix the problem. People on the left who have emotional arguments and so on, they have a tendency to create very uh, complex arguments because they know that they really don't have an argument against something. For instance, um, uh, arguments about gender. They have made the, the transgender arguments and so on extremely complex. And they've done this because they don't really have any foundation to base their transgenderism beliefs on. So as a result, they've had to create this twisting, meandering argument that really takes a very intelligent person to understand. Uh, and, and if you really keep the emotions out of it, what you come to understand is that the argument is hogwash anyway in the end. A lot of times it's question begging and stuff. But they, they make these long twisting arguments as to why you know, transgenderism is good and so on, et cetera. Whereas if you look at p- other people, some of your more intelligent scientists and stuff, and people who have managed to intelligent enough to keep their emotions out of the argument, they just say, look, we know that, that gender is genetic. It's YY or XY. And you know, that really is what you are. And so, yeah, so the most simplest arguments are typically – not only normally are they the right arguments, but they're also um, – most of the time they're the right arguments. Not always, but they're most of the time they're the right arguments, but they're also typically the arguments of more intelligent people. That's my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, yeah I tend to agree with that. Uh, what I've also noticed um, when it comes to arguments like should this be imposed – like for a senator, um, should this be imposed at gunpoint? Um, based on, like, preference or something like that. Um, should people be forced to go to public school at gunpoint? Or they'll say, uh, uh, I, they'll say, I've heard them say, like, I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that, but, uh, but, uh, I think it's, I think it's wrong for a kid to be uneducated. Now, now looking at that, that statement you just made, another centrist position. You, you're going to say that you know it. You're going to you're going to feed something to the people who say that they're against it, and then flip around and justify it with another statement. And and I've heard people say things like what you're saying right there. Hmm. So that's pretty good. I mean, that's a that's a really good example that you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what is your okay? So, so what is your feeling on whether children should be made to go to school or not? 
No, and private school has um, private schools have been the most beneficial to places where um, third world, especially in the third world, where it's profit learning. Uh, places like in India, and and it's the the pay the the ratio of paying to go to school to uh, how much it costs is, is relative to the cost of um, what it makes in India to uh, go to school. You, it's cost benefit, and the kids are learning at a good rate. Actually, they, they're okay. down in the study. So, so, so the private the private schools are actually there's a cost benefit because they're spending less money and the t- the students seem to be learning more. Mm-hmm. Is what you're and in okay. yes, <clears throat> and it, United States with our private education has to compete with the monopoly if it's free of public education. Who doesn't want free education? <laughs> Right. It, well, a lot of people to use it as free daycare. It's free daycare for a lot of people is what it really is. I can just dump my kids off here and they'll learn something. Mm-hmm. Even That's if I right. know it's not done. that great. Yep. And I've heard several arguments for <clears throat> on the preschool thing. Uh, people have likened it to uh, free daycare or um, essentially um, – early day incarceration because they're basically they're keeping the kids in one spot where they're under watch of an adult supervision all day and so they can't be out running the streets and they they feel that it reduces delinquency. Some relative told me who I wasn't debating it about. They told me that, um, well, the best nation is an educated nation. I said, okay, uh-huh. it can't be done privately. And right, I was right. Like, and they're like, um, well, public school. Uh, I pointed out, well, they're not getting educated in Chicago as one of the <laughs> dropouts. But mm-hmm. that's cherry picking. Mm-hmm. But I thought you said an educated nation is the best. Right. Yeah, because that's so, I mean. Honestly, uh, we had a higher – I think um, the United States maybe uh, right before public schools were instituted actually may have had a slightly higher uh, literacy rate than they do now. I have to look, double check yeah. that, but I think that's something that – so. Um, and a lot of the I, people who lean moderate or are moderate said, well, we had a good private education system then. I think it's – not going to come back. Well, again, like, we know, have let's, to, let's not now worry we have about to make it public. Let's not worry about that. Now, let's, let's not worry about that. We're going to have to deal with what we've got, so let's just move on and quit talking about it. Another centrist position. Yeah. We're going to capitulate here. We're going to make this uh, public. Well, the government will just right. come on and fix it. Oh, we, like we were talking about last night with the with the boomers. Well, it was mm-hmm. the boomers. It was the it was the silent generation. It, it will, yeah. We, uh, well, that doesn't work. That doesn't work now. So we just have to um, we have to um, 
um, capitulate on this uh, because just because because uh, the rationale, just because because the government will just take care of it. Yeah, they'll just fix what, what it. What were you saying about the silent generation, about their education level? Well, <laughs> well, one of the problems is is that um, actually, I mean, a lot of the people in the silent generation, the greatest generation, the World War II generation, had a lot of names for them. My grandparents. Um, uh, a lot of good people in that generation, very strong people, very strong-willed. I mean, a lot of fortitude. They did a lot of things that had to be done that were tough to do. On the other hand, when it came to things like socialism uh, and the government, um, they had a very naive view of government. And I've, I'd heard many times from, from people in that generation, you know, the government will fix it. Well, we got a problem with this and this over here. Well, we just need to bring the government in to have them take care of it. Because a lot of them, they just believe, I mean, irrationally, the government are always the good guys. And big business and so on, they're always the bad guys. Rich people are always the bad guys. This is this is what they grew up believing. But a lot of it's growing up in the Great and it, Depression. And it, it fell in line with the proletariat view. Sure and does. I think the... Sure does. And the prolet the proletariat view fell onto the American worker, and it's become a staple of uh, modern political thinking for the worker to be infallible on everything. Well, and and I think that I mean there's two things. One, we had Eli Harmon on on a couple of shows, and one show, one of the things that he was talking about, we were talking about socialism, and he said almost any state at some point, if it wants to survive, has to give the little people something. And that's where you start to find things like social safety net and, you know, they do things, you know, the trade union stuff. And so that kind of comes about. And and the other thing that you and I have talked about, I said, you know, in a lot of ways, I really dislike FDR. Uh, I consider him to be one of the worst presidents because a lot of the stuff he instituted now, you know, things like the things that I helped him for instituting were things like the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, and certain, certain regulating bodies that really, in my opinion, weren't necessary. Uh, however, some of the things that he did, I honestly believe, because he came to power in the very early 30s, uh, right when the Great Depression really took off, I think he did because I think there was a real scare – just like in Germany and in Italy, that the communists were going to take over. And so I think that he put in place Social Security and food commodities and certain types of welfare programs, you know, the Conservation Corps and the WPA and so on back then, because probably if he hadn't, just from talking to some of that generation, they would have overthrown the government and instituted probably a communist socialist government of some sort. So I, I think that he knew that he was he was going to have to give on some of it. Where I take issue with him, I mean, is that one, he put in a whole lot more than he had to. Uh, no, I think that now that we're we're not in that type of situation, we ought to dial those down and get rid of them. Personally, but what, what's your take on that, David? Um, you there? I think I think Roosevelt 
as as much as I I'd like to agree with that, I think yeah, implementing those things was the, what's led to what's going on now. Oh, I agree. Like the I New agree. Deal it never went away. Mm-hmm. New, New Deal, Deal Social Security, uh, taking uh, like he's the one that I think he was the one that um, took gold. But he he was the one that took gold. Uh, he didn't pay it. He didn't allow it to be paid to the dollar anymore, right? Uh, no, he he's the one that went and told it. He made everybody turn in their gold. That's right. He made everyone sell their gold to the government, and I I think that they gave them dollars in exchange for it. But he made everybody turn in their gold. It was Nixon, the rat bastard, who took us off of who took us off old standard. Just like it was Nixon who created the Environmental Protection Agency, that son of a bitch. I mean, he, he's the, he's oh, really no better than any of them. <clears throat> and when I tell you about the, no, the uh, centrist, that's a, that's a, that's a um, point that I want to extend to another argument that centrists make. I, I like, I'll that? show them. I'll show them. Look, the EPA, the tragedy of the commons. And they're like, they just look away from me and don't pay attention to me when I when I bring that up. Right. Like, yeah, I'm taking an irrational I'm, I'm 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 the one taking an irrational position by pointing out that government uh, isn't efficient, but government should be moderate in their opinion. Right. Well it, it the centrist position has always been Basically, uh, one big giant virtue signal. Look at me. Uh, I, I'm I'm standing here in the middle. I'm trying to show you that both sides have valid points. Everybody should listen to me. Everybody should listen to what I'm saying and try to act the same way and be tolerant of You're each other. You're just being edgy. Because, right, right. You're 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 just all you're doing is is fighting. Let's look at what we have in common. Those are common. That's a common uh, uh, centrist platitude. platitude. Why don't we talk about what we have in common instead of what, what we don't have in common or what, what brings us apart? Because that and doesn't get things done. It's just a giant virtue signal. Yeah, people who are centrist, they're, I, I always look and I try to figure out reasons why people try to be centrist. And there's always an agenda there except in maybe in one instance, and that is you're, you're basically you have no – you have um, uh, no spine. You know, you, if you're if you're not very smart or you have no spine, you know, you're a coward. And you just don't you just don't want to take a position that conflicts with other people. Okay, I get it. You don't really have an agenda. But other than that, all the people who I see are centrists. They're politicians. They're they're uh, educators. They're somebody. They ha- they're getting something out of it. They're trying to garner some sort of, you know, kudos from society or they they want to present themselves as having some sort of extraordinary wisdom, you know, and so it's just a big giant virtue signal or it's an idiot or a coward. And so there's really nothing good about being a centrist because you're t- you just are simply refusing to take any position on anything at all. Really. I mean, that that's my analysis of it. I mean, I don't know how much you agree with that or disagree, but I'm prob- probably ninety uh, percent acceptable with Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 
I don't I don't like what Roosevelt did, but I think that what I'm saying is it's not. I may have handled it differently, but I guess what I'm saying is is that on the stuff where he was giving people food and putting them to work with government programs, I I could understand why he looked at that as a solution at the time. But, it, I mean, it was obviously only one solution. So I understand why he did it. I just think it could have been, it could have been done differently maybe, right? Maybe taking them in the, into helicopters and throwing them outside of um, Washington, D.C., <laughs> the, the proletariats that were trying to. <laughs> well, well I, think, I, I really think what, what would have fixed things and from everything I can see is that if government had stayed out of it, the Great Depression would have not have been the Great Depression. It would have actually ended a lot faster, but what extended it was all of the manipulations and everything they started doing, and it really started with Hoover and Roosevelt went to, and there was just it was no end in sight. It just kept wouldn't stay out of the economy, and every time they did something, it just messed things up more, and so really all the government spending and all the government interference is why it became the Great Depression. So that's why I say, I mean, I understand why he did what he did. He could have done it different, and that is to immediately stay out of it, let the economy right itself as quick as possible, put an end to whatever it was that caused it in the first place, which was probably you know, the central bank. May stop them from printing money, get shut down the central bank. It probably would have fixed itself real quick. You know, it's obviously but, a Federal Reserve but, problem. But your average Keynesian will tell you, uh, neo-Keynesian, maybe Keynesian, will say, like, Paul, uh, what's his name? Obama's Krugman. economic advisor. Paul Krugman. Yeah. Paul, Paul, Krug, he, Paul he Krugman, would, yeah. He he would probably say, well, before the, there was a crisis in the 1800s that uh, when we got central banks, we, we put control under that whole mess because with central banking uh, we we've kept the money supply stable no you haven't and that issue with uh, in the 1890s and, and the other ones they didn't last very long they quickly fixed themselves like within a year sometimes just two years the, the longest usually the great depression there's no it's not a coincidence that it occurred that it that it occurred that this massive depression occurred after we got a central bank, and we'd never had anything like it before. Hmm, wonder. But I mean, without going too far off onto those topics, I mean, really, which well, I guess my point well, is is that in the end, go ahead, you and say something. Oh, I've heard um, I've mm-hmm. heard some people say. Who are often modern, moderate Republicans, the war hawk, the war hawk clan of the moderate, the Bushite. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll say like, "Well, uh, the war in Iraq it cost two trillion dollars, but that was an economic uh, benefit." Mm, yeah, you're talking the broken window fallacy. Yeah. Well, if I destroy some wealth, then we'll give people jobs, making new wealth. By, by having a war in a foreign country. Yeah, if we go blow all their stuff up, and then rebuild it, well, that'll put Americans back to work. Look what happened. 
I don't think it's a coincidence that after those wars we had massive, massive uh, economic issues. And and Barack Obama then got into office and started doing all of these massive manipulations and everything in the economy, trying to spur it and push it along just like Roosevelt did. Nothing happened. We got a president in office. Within two years, the economy's booming. And it's booming because he started telling all these companies the minute he got in, he was calling them in for meetings and saying, look, this is what we're going to do. Don't leave. He stopped. I can't count on, on two hands how many giant corporations he stopped from leaving the United States that stayed here and started investing money to, with new jobs. <clears throat> he, I know what he told them. We're cutting taxes and we're cutting regulations, which is what Reagan did. And the taxes were great, but you want to know what's doing more than anything? Cutting those regulations. Uh, and, and that's really why the economy is booming. And so the other day, Barack Obama pops up and says, oh, he says, he says he's mad because Trump's getting credit for the economy. Well, we were doing that in 2016, 2015, we had a recovery going. Dude, he had this, this anemic recovery, 1.5% GDP growth, which GDP is a horrible indicator, but still 2% GDP, two, I think 2.5% two, two GDP. Had one blast GDP. quarter. It's like three or three or four percent GDP, and then for three months later had to come back and revise it back down to two percent again because it was wrong. So GDP, he never had a uh, is all about yeah. G- GDP is all about um, uh, ta- tax being as a form of prof- taxation is a form of profit. Well, it's it's gross it, domestic it, product. So what they're saying is, is any money spent is GDP. So the government, if it was all government spending, it'd be GDP, right? Yeah. Which is what you're saying, yeah, basically. Yeah. And yeah. they um, well, <clears throat> and they uh, the the people in the, in the middle like use it as like a like oh, this is infallible statistic GDP. Right. Well, could you imagine the GDP would probably be about the same, if not better. And the only difference is who's spending the money. The government wouldn't be spending the money; just regular people would be. But what's really messed up is is that um, if they actually adjusted GDP to only reflect money that is not money that comes from actual private private industry, private capital, private growth, that type of thing. You'd find the GDP is nothing like they say it is, because um, if it, if I had to look at it, uh, they count they count gov- uh, government employees in that. So essentially, they tax all these these private people, private companies, private businesses, everything, private individuals, send it to the government, who then employs I mean massive amounts of people in the economy, either in the military or in the civil corps. Uh, and, uh, civil service and so on, et cetera. Uh, teachers at the state level, all these state employees, et cetera, municipal employees. And that's being, they act as though those are real jobs. And I don't consider those real jobs because those people, they don't actually make anything. They don't make anything. They're getting paid money that was taken from people who do make things. So those jobs don't produce. They're parasitic jobs. Oh, teachers and cops, but still, they don't make anything. So if you look at all the children, old people, 
people employed by the government, people on disability, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff. And then you look at all the people who work, I would bet only 30 to 35 tops, 40%, maybe 45% of the people are actually employed with jobs that are productive in the private sector. Maybe. I doubt it. I bet it's 35 to 40%. Yeah. But, you know, hey, hey, you know, government employment, you know, we got to have it, right? Yeah, that's what Sweden said, and they have zero um, gross net um, zero gross in the private sectors. Um, zero <laughs> growth in the private sector since 1950. Zero uh, when it comes to jobs. Hmm. So, like, well, since 1950, you're you're basically replacing someone. Uh, you're basically just replacing someone. Well, and Sweden and a lot of these uh, European countries are all working off the centrist fallacy. That's why I consider it a fallacy. I mean, they're all working off that, that whole concept. For instance, the Lockean idea of the mind, the human being, a tabula rasa, that we're just a blank slate. And you can take any person and throw them into any culture, and they're all going to perform and do the same. And we go back to that, you know, back and forth. And I think that is one of the fundamental fallacies of the Western world. It leads us to all sorts of problems, such as equality of outcomes, things like that. I mean, you and I both know, as we were talking about earlier, human behavior is about 70, 80% genetic. So no, you cannot take people from, you you cannot take people from all over the world, stick them into a culture at birth, and think they're all going to be the same, and they're not going to have certain predispositions as adults. You can't have equality amongst the races, because the races, at the risk of people screaming Nazi, we're not all equal. We all have issues, but we're not equal. Some of us perform better in certain circumstances than others, and that's just the way it is. Yeah. I think you probably agree with me on that. Oh, yeah. People carry these enormous platitudes of, um, you can achieve anything. No, no, you <laughs> can't. You have limit. You have each lim- Some human beings have more limitations than others. That's right. We find issues with, um, with crime is also racially related. It is the, the, Correlation between race and crime is so, so tight that you have to be absolute, complete denial in order to not acknowledge it. And the whole, the whole thing about centrists are is that our issues that we have with race right now is specifically caused by centrism. The idea that all human beings are equal and that all human beings will perform. It's just, it's just the environment, the environment. They're constantly trying to apologize for one side or the other because it might make them feel bad. Um, I mean, really, honestly, the entire United States, our problem as a nation, our problems all come down to centrism. 
everybody trying to not hurt each other's feelings. And really what needs to happen is to be honest with each other. And if we did, a lot of this behavior that we're seeing going on would go away. Men are better at some things. Women are better at other things. We know this. Why is it that we constantly have to hear about how men and women are unequal? Women women will not make as good CEOs as men. It's something Lord, Lord Southern pointed out. And I agree with so that. So do you think that that well do you do you think that that means that there can be no good women CEOs? Um I think there can be but substantially less than men. Okay. On the average. So what do you think Okay, so so but that's not a central position. I mean that's you you're not taking a centrist position on this. Yeah, I'm taking You're a, saying that men I'm men taking, make better CEOs than women. Don't you think you might you might be hurting some women's feelings out there right now? It doesn't matter when it comes to using logic and reason and statistics and uh and uh, using that as your uh <clears throat> um pathway to what you believe. Uh just just because um um I'm not using irrationality along with rationality uh, that I have to use it just because because uh, I have to make I, I don't want to have to make a roundabout argument right so so okay so if that's the case I mean if if, if that's the case well, what about crime statistics I mean who is there a race that commits more crime than any other in general no, black. per 100,000 people per per 100,000 people black, black people have a ten, black people in, uh, statistically commit more violent crime than any other group racially uh, now there are people who say uh, that, wait a minute go ahead yeah against uh, other races and actually they kill the uh, Statistically, kill their own race more than more than more than others. I think too. So, so considering that, there's some once again people are going to be screaming Nazi. They're going to be saying, "Well, well, David, uh, what about the idea that um, uh, um, it's their environment? I mean, they they live in poor neighborhoods with poor schools because they're black. There, it's because of racism." That they commit more violent crimes than the other races. That's completely unfalsifiable, because uh, being born poor, uh, and or well, being born into a quote unquote racist society does not propel one to want to go out and kill people. And uh, what? And why is it uh, that we have to blame racism? For uh, committing, for them to commit crime, when uh, when we've given them um, civil rights, we've given them social rights, we've given them affirmative action. Uh, it's uh, compared to what situation? And uh, yeah, well, compared and, uh, to what, right? Yeah. So so okay. So what about? But what they're saying is, is that because of racism, black people have poorer schools. 
poor infrastructure, poor um, everything. They're everything. The police attack them more often than any other racial group. Um, they have um, they have a harder time getting jobs when they go up in front of judges. Their sentences are harsher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everything everything in society is rigged against them, is what they say, and they say that's because of racism, and that's why they're so violent. Is because the only way that they can get anything is by fighting for it and stealing and stuff because society's rigged again. What, what did you say, what would you say about that though? <laughs> That's just the whole laughable idea that uh that society is rigged against them so that uh mm-hmm. so they're stealing uh so they're making an appeal that it's okay to steal because you you're black because you're the prole- infallible proletariat. That that makes you infallible proletariat. It's just a bunch that's just a bunch of nonsense. Um, right, you're you're oppressed. I'm oppressed. That's the reason I steal. Uh, but how are they oppressed compared to what? Right, compared to what? Again, another that question. You know, um, if you look, if you look at the numbers, and you go to countries where they're in the majority, the violence is just as prevalent, if not more prevalent, than it is in the United States or Western nations where there are minorities. If you go to Africa and you look, I mean, those are the only countries in the world where people are running around chopping each other's arms off. Children are chopping people's arms off, cutting the breasts off of women. Uh, constant warfare, fighting amongst tribes. Um, really, honestly, it's it's pervasive globally. It's not just in the United States. Now, there's exceptions. There's exceptions to every every statistical um, <clears throat> mean that we can we can find. But the, as they say, the exception what? Doesn't necessarily make the rule, correct? <clears throat> yeah. So, so, and then, you know, poor, uh, I don't know if poor causes that. I mean, there's a lot of people who come from poor countries and they're not doing that type of stuff. <clears throat> A lot of poor communities that aren't acting that way, um, and really, honestly, even amongst Hispanic Americans, violent violence rates are higher than a lot of other segments of population. Uh, and Native American populations and uh, African American populations rates per one hundred thousand people of violent crime than Asian people or white people do. And Those this are is statistical where, facts. And this is a part of uh, understanding race realism that uh, race, certain races have a lower IQ than others. Uh, um, on on the average, not not in every single case. But like right. this is, and it contributes to lower IQ. Contributes to violent behavior. And you can see this in yeah, Africa. Yeah, we do know. You can see. You see it in Africa and where else? Uh, you can see it in the Middle East. Right. And we do know that um, statistically we have tied violence to lower IQ. We have. I mean, people, we've, we've tied it to the the um, the 80 range, 80 to 90 range is where you start to see um, – <clears throat> excuse me, higher levels of violence. Uh, we know that 
people who are like if you go to death row, the vast majority of people on death row uh, are not of high IQ. A lot of people have this idea that killers are high, these high IQ individuals because they see TV and they watch Hannibal Lecter or some serial <laughs> killer on TV. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, they you know what I'm saying? They've got this this idea that. Killers, in order to be able to get away with you know killing twenty people, they must be super smart. They're not often, <clears throat> and eventually they get caught. Most of the people, if you go right now and looked on death row, if you went and looked up every person on death row in the United States, the vast majority of them would have an IQ in the eighty to ninety range. They can be cunning about certain things without being smart. Um. So what you find is is that. I don't want to live. Why, why is it that I? Why is it that white people have a tendency to live amongst white people, or Asian people have a tendency to live amongst Asian people, and black people have a tendency to live amongst black people? Well, we always say that part of that's in-group preference, but I also know that, for instance, um, I'm I, not I wonder. I'm not stupid. I I realize that there's a higher violence rate in the Hispanic and the African American communities. And I don't want to live there. I don't want to live in a community with more violence. I want to live in a community with less violence. And more favorable to Didn't you say? Uh, my culture. And more more favorable to my cultural views. I wonder sure. I wonder what um what a centrist would take on the black and white position of uh in-group versus out-group preference. Well, you, you've heard it. Why? Why do you have they a would... preference? Everybody's equal. We, uh, they'll tell you that all human. if you took black people and put them in this white neighborhood and raised them in a white neighborhood, they will, act ju- they will be just as like the white people. They will not have – the violence rates will be, not be bad. Just mix them all together, and everybody will turn out the same is what they'll tell you. That's a centrist. As a matter of fact, that's uh... – Compared to a, a an average black raised in a white family, compared to a black raised in the black family, there's almost statistically no difference. That's correct. And you can go to nation to nation to nation. It doesn't matter, like I said, whether they're the minority or the or the majority. It doesn't matter if they're affluent or not affluent. The rate for violence is higher. That's just the facts. The way it is, but it, it, I mean, make good warriors. I'm sure, good fighters. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's the positive of it. the The thing I guess is, is that when you look at that, you understand certain things like this. That that genetics does make people different, and because of genetics, it's not possible for everybody to be equal. Not racially necessarily, and not by sex necessarily. You know, women and men. And we're not saying I'm not saying that women are any dumber than men or anything. I'm just saying that women value certain things more than men do. Men, on average, about power and economic freedom. Women, on the other hand, value benevolence and universalism, which is another way of saying you know. Uh, treat others as you would have to treat you, that type of thing. 
So women don't value the same things as men. They have a tendency to take careers in, in things like social work and teaching and um, get degrees in things like gender studies and stuff. And so they don't make as much money as men do because they don't pursue the same kind of careers normally that men do. Actually, back like so many odd years ago, uh, men were the teachers of society. They were. They were. When women came into society, that changed. Yeah. And, uh, but I should say when women entered the workforce in society, that's what I meant to say, that changed. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I don't know that it was for the better. I think property owning men should only vote. You think that only property owning men should vote? Yeah. I, the way I, was I think the country only, was first now. I think that you should either have to own property or you should and I don't mean like a one foot square of property. I mean you should have to own a domicile and at least enough, you know, land like a half acre or something. Actual property that you're paying taxes on to be able to vote locally. And in general, you in order to vote, period, you need if you don't own property, you better be paying uh, net taxes by the end of the year. You should pay out more in taxes than what you take in. If you can't do one of those two things, you shouldn't vote. And what what happens is is that you will find that it will naturally eliminate a lot of people. And of course, you'll end up when people hear that that type of thing, they'll say that I'm advocating suffrage for white males. And no, I'm I'm advocating suffrage for people who own property and or pay net taxes. And if it turns out that white males do that more than any other group, then yes, I am. If it turns out that uh, black men from the Congo do that more than any other group, I'm advocating that they get to vote and the people who can't do it don't get to vote. What you will find is is that only high-time preference people will end up getting to vote. Yes, um, they're being able to exercise their in-group preference um, over yours. Um, That's right. As as Molly New has pointed out. Well, and this is why hereditary power is so important. Because hereditary power allow it, it's based on people inheriting wealth from their parents, at least some wealth, inheriting land, things like that. We, we know, and, and hereditary evil. power with. Well, no, yeah, why? Because because they'll have question. a. They're able to control their wealth and hold it over to others. Right. Well, they'll make, say why they'll make people suffer. Why is that evil? They make How do people you know suffer. That? Because, How do you know that? Because the rich, because the rich want to oppress people. It's an unfalsifiable position you're taking that the rich automatically oppress people. How do you know that? Can you? What's your evidence? I'm I'm so original I guess, here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. So, so I guess this, this all leads back to Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Because some of the conversations you and I have had about Jordan Peterson, this whole first hour and eight minutes we've been talking about this. Really, it's we talked a little about something else. But the reason we talked about this was because 
the point I'm making is is that um, uh, equality is not you can't have equality of outcomes. You can have equality under the law. You can't have equality of opportunity. It's not possible. You can't have equality of outcomes, etc. You can only have equality under the law. So Jordan Peterson. Uh, well, why don't why don't you lay out a little bit about Jordan Peterson? I mean, what you like about him and what you don't like about him. Uh, Jordan Peterson. He's an interesting guy. He he preaches good psychological truth. He uh, preaches individualism, which to a certain degree I hold to be true. Where I depart from this man is when he starts talking about people as blank slates. We don't want to use their um, tactics because um, we just got to be an individual statue that just believes in all these principles. Uh, we got to extend the same principle as... Um, do, we have to extend the same principle to them because they're going to... Uh, because it's the right thing to do. Well, doesn't doesn't he believe that basically all people are the same? It's just their environment. Didn't hasn't he yeah. said that before that that we can't you know we can't have that it, equality. We need equality. So he's big on equality. Yeah, right? yeah. He's he's, he's uh, yeah. He said before too in an interview that he's not on the right. I've heard him say it in more than one interview that he, he that twenty years ago he was definitely on the left and now he's his views haven't changed but they consider him on the right. Yeah, he's of the so classical liberal I, tradition. Uh huh. The Lockean tradition. Um, the uh, yeah. That people were blank slates and, and if you just accept people into your group, they'll grow and assimilate. Um, tell that to Europe, Jordan. <laughs> we'll see. And and that's really um, where I have my issues with him. All right. Some of it's some of the stuff that he talks about, it, it makes sense and it's good talking. Uh, he has a tendency, as I've said before, to sort of turn into a into a um, alt light Doctor Phil. Reminds me an awful lot of Sargon of Akkad. Sometimes um, both of them hold a lot of classical liberal positions, and when it, you start getting down to talk about equality, racial equality, and things like that, neither one of them have an issue going after the arguments about sexism. If you haven't noticed, either neither one of them have any issue with going after people or, or going after people who talk about feminism. They dislike feminism. They're always bashing feminists, attacking feminists nonstop. And I really think that they're solid on that. The problem is is that they refuse to apply it in the realm of racial relations. They refuse to apply the same sort of reasoning that they use regarding feminism to arguments and to issues that regard um, uh, dealing with you know, different races dealing with each other. And and when it comes to that, they lose their mind all of a sudden and go nuts. And so that so so a lot of people on the left will say that Jordan they'll call Jordan Peterson alt right. Well, you and I both know he's not alt right. We know too many people that are all that are in the alt right. He's explicitly stated that. 
he explicitly stated the alt-right is just a manifestation of um, trying to basically live through the father. <laughs> uh, well, whatever, we, uh, so, whatever so that lot, means. Well, yeah, that's what, but see, see, um, the, uh, the thing is, is the people on the alt-right have a tendency to call him alt-light, like Sargon of Akkad and some of those guys. And so the biggest thing that separates people on the alt-right and the alt-light is really is race realism or, or their views on race. And uh, some people in the alt-light, I don't know, uh, Molyneux sort of is somewhere in the gray area between the alt-right and the alt-light. And and I'm I don't know I mean I I just know that I listen to a lot of these guys talk about things I'm not uh, you and I have like said we've never really necessarily labeled ourselves I I would imagine I probably fall somewhere uh, on the alt right I I don't know what you think as far as where you fall at David but uh, I mean I'm not I'm not a national socialist if that's if that's a qualifier for the alt right then I I don't qualify but or you think you uh, I don't David, think it's but, a, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a qualifying um, necessity to be a national socialist and be considered alt-right in, in any instance. Um, yeah. I will say that the the alt-light, they, they're slightly cucked. Um, they, they are they slightly that, cucked. They think that you could just throw a thousand uh, Cong- people from the Congo into into your um in your community and then town or city Somalians Somalians into your community and then and they're just gonna they're just gonna react to um the free market um that they live in and to conduct themselves in that form they're just gonna assimilate after after just being taken out of a stone age civilization they're just gonna Walk right up, conduct business, and take money out of their wallet mm-hmm. and pay for their gas and pay for mm-hmm. food and not try to rob or steal you from you because uh, they they we could just pull people out of their environment and they, with their seventy seven IQ just stick them here and then their <laughs> IQ will just grow. Well, you know what? That's funny. You made your age and then you said seventy seven IQ, and I notice a lot of the problems that we're experiencing. Uh, with immigration, with violence from immigrants, and with a lot of the problems, people screaming racism and demanding borders be open and so on. Most of the people screaming for these things and causing the most problems now are what I call uh, aboriginal peoples. Um, and and so these are peoples who come from places like Africa, aborigines in Australia, um, Native Americans, which you know, I have a small percentage of Native American, uh, and uh, other other Aboriginal groups. Most is primarily Aboriginal peoples that are screaming for these things. They want special treatment. Uh, so I just don't think that they're they're they do they don't do well in Western in Western culture Western society. They do well in their setting that they've spent the last 30 or 40,000 years in, but when it comes to an environment that requires high time pre- or low time preference, 
uh, it doesn't work well because they're, they, it's, it's never been a requirement for the environments that those, those uh, peoples um, have been living in. And so, you know, 30, 40,000 years, they develop cultural tendencies. They develop tendencies, high time preference tendencies. There's no reason to not be. As a matter of fact, you probably don't survive as well if you're not high time preference. You know, you can't store food, so you better get it now. You see food out, out laying out somewhere, you better go eat it. You don't wait till later. Something else will get it, or flies will land on, drop maggots on it. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that society, it's not very conducive to low time preference. So it's, uh, it's more... Uh, it, it's better it's more high be, time preference. I mean... Yeah. It's more optimal to be... You know, they... Yeah, they're hunter gatherers. They're not. They're, they don't. They're. They have food available. They have food sources available all year round, vegetable and animal. Yeah. So, so you put them in a society like ours. And those societies, I'm I saying, guess, those societies, I guess, will be okay with, with maybe a minor form of socialism if they wanted. I, I, I hate socialism. I couldn't be involved in such a society. But I laugh when people say, "We, you have such a big society, we have to make it socialist. We can't survive without some socialism <laughs> if if we have a big society. I, I, I take the opposite view, uh, especially with people with um, 77 IQ. They probably need some socialism in a, and live in a small plan in order to function properly. With some rule of law. Well, some. Well, they certainly don't have they certainly don't have the inclination for a for low time preference activities like like storing food and things. It's not that they're I'm not saying that they're lazy. What I'm saying is is that they don't. It, it, there were some exper- There are a lot of experiments done. All right, a lot of experiments on this done with with different people from different racial backgrounds. And. Uh, what they found was, in a lot of cases, if you take someone from a, an African and you you offered them one piece of candy now, or three pieces of or you know five pieces of candy in three hours, they'd take the one piece of candy now. They didn't want to wait three hours for five to get five. They wanted that piece of candy now. And a lot of the kids who were in, uh, from other racial racial groups, they would forego oh, quite often the one piece of candy now to get the five pieces in three hours. Yeah. I mean, that, that's just a, that's a statistical fact as well. And it's more than one experiment conducted in more than one country, multiple countries all over the world. Uh, it's not, so it's, it's easily, it's easy to replicate. So it, it's, but it's I a would... matter of, you know, if you spend 40,000 40, years in a place where the, where the temperature is always the same, you don't have any seasons, food, and, food is always readily available year-round, why should you be low-time preference? And like I said, it's probably a detriment to, be, to not be high-time preference, to not want the stuff right now. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's um, funny. But they they think that um I wonder what type of psychological voodoo that Jordan Peterson would say right here. 
I don't know. I, I, I only thing I can tell you is that he's real close to being to being the all the, the conservative Doctor Phil. And, and and quite honestly, we don't need that. To be honest with you, I don't we, I don't have time for a conservative Doctor Phil. Now go wash your penis. You know we don't have time for that. <laughs> you did his voice quite well, then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go wash your penis. Yeah, it, it's more. <laughs> That's how he sounds. <laughs> well, they did that. Murdoch, Murdoch did that because because they're making fun of him for telling people to go clean their room. And you know, I get it. He, what he's saying is, is that if you go, if, if a person will start out, they're you know, if they're trying to go on a path to doing better. You can start out by going home and doing some basic stuff like cleaning your room and stuff. But quite on, I mean, honestly. I mean, I'm 49 years old. I don't need you to tell me clean my room, pay my bills, dude. Yeah, that sounds real good for a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid. But tell me to go home and clean my to clean my room. So it's just hilarious. You know, the guy's like, well, why, why is she peeing? You know, it just cracks me up. But um, <laughs> So... So as far as Dr. Phil's concerned, in my opinion, I don't I don't see him as being on the right. And truly, I see him as being center, center left. Um, and he's just a, someone who the reason that he, he's he's mostly he, he deals in facts a lot. Um, he could be slightly center right. I don't know. But when you get right down to it because of his views on equality, if you apply those across the entire spectrum, there's no way that you can be on the right. There's no way because you have to be wedded to equality, and if you're wedded to to, to have those views, and if you're wedded to equality, you, you have to basically, when it comes right down to it, you know, you're going to make decisions based on that, and those decisions are not going to be right leaning decisions that allow for people to have freedom to uh, associate or disassociate, to um, you know have actual. Uh, merit-based society. You can't have a merit-based society in which you're always worried about equality of opportunity and outcome. I think, yeah, do, Doctor Doctor Peterson would say, um, "Well, I I know of of 120 IQ, um, 120 IQ, um, um, 100 and." Maybe a hundred and thirty IQ guy. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's one of them. Okay, <laughs> but that but the exception doesn't make the rule. Again, you know. Okay, so you can point out a guy that's got a hundred and thirty IQ. So what? For every one of him, I can point out ten white guys that have a hundred and thirty IQ. I mean, they're it's yeah, just it's that great. way. And uh, you know, go wash your penis. Um, <laughs> he. <laughs> he's he's it's outrageous. So so if you'll make decisions, you know, uh, if you if you believe in equality that way, you're going to make decisions that are going to be centrist in nature because you're going to constantly be thinking. You're always going to be thinking, well, that's not fair to this people over here. That's not fair to those people over there. Constantly going to be worried about whether someone's being treated equal or not. Well, he's being treated yeah. poorly because of the color of his skin. Why? Well, because he didn't get interest to Harvard. He's got a high IQ. So what? For every one of him, there's 10 of these guys over here. 
So, so that it's just it's we get into a situation where you can't have a merit-based society, and really that's what everything should. What it comes down to, if you want a free market, and you want a free society without government meddling and intervention, you have to have a meritocracy. And in a meritocracy, you're going to have situations in where some groups of people just do better on some things than other groups do, and you're going to have to learn to deal with that and accept it. And if you don't like it, I mean, you can try to do something about it, but government's not the answer. Redistribution of wealth and trying to give, you know, affirmative action is not the answer. Can't have a healthy society with those things going on. So equality creates an unhealthy equality of trying to create equality of opportunity and equality of outcomes creates an unhealthy society. Which is another reason why multiculturalism and diversity doesn't work. Because if we're all not the same, then you can't really have a meritocracy without certain groups starting to demand things like affirmative action and redistribution of wealth and claiming that they're being cheated. So, I mean, do you think that Jordan Peterson is going to solve any problems if he believes in equality of opportunity and equality of outcome? Nope. No. Yeah. Kind of where I'm he's, at. It's it's he's he's being foolish. Like all those moderates are. He's a moderate. Yeah, or centrist. I, I hate you I hate using that term moderate because sometimes it, it, it can be a little bit something different than centrist. But yeah, I mean if we use it interchangeably as as centrist, yeah. He's a centrist. Yeah. I, I, I hate using but, the word center right because they're not really inclined to be in right wing. I, I use it for people yeah, like John McCain. It's true. John John McCain. Yeah, I don't even he, he, Yeah, he, I know. He he was the quote unquote Maverick. Whenever right. I hear that word I, I kind of I kinda of cringe and I think uh, capitulator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. See that's the problem with the center. They give in. They give in all the time, and they have a tendency to give in to the left more than they give in to the right because they allow their uh, they allow they allow themselves to fall prey to arguments about empathy and compassion instead of sticking to ration and rational thinking and logic. Yeah. It's a real fucking problem. Um so so I guess I guess at the end of the day, I mean that's my I, I think that that's that the the red pill here is that the problem really more or less, even more so than the left, is is people who claim to be in the center. They are causing more problems than anybody else. Uh, and and really, they're the real you know, globalists. What's that? They're the globalists. They're the ones that put us yeah, in the financial they are wrecks. The um, they are. They're the ones who um, are tied to lobbyists, and they're the ones that are running the. Uh, you could probably pinpoint centrism um, amongst people compromising and capitulating. Um, For to, sure. To, 
to some left-wing ideas, uh, especially economically. You can tie them to uh, what's not just what's going wrong culturally, but what's going wrong economically by selling us out through trade to China, mm-hmm. by allowing open mm-hmm. borders, by continuing uh, conflicts throughout the world, being the world police. You could you could probably pinpoint that all to compromise and centrism and globe, which is globalism. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the whole point of, I mean, look at the way our countries run. As we pointed out earlier, centrists are, uh, politicians must be centrists. doesn't matter what their personal positions are when they start running for office. They have to learn to find a centrist-type position. And so when they get into power, then it all comes about making money and getting some extra cash in your pocket and, you know, payola. You know, and that's, when they, turn, that's when they turn rank and file. That. That's right. So, so the whole point is, is that the whole lesson politically in a in a country with democratic type elections, is that it's always about selling out your values, giving up on your values, and trying to find a central comp- a compromise or a centrist position. And so, the reason that we're in the shape we're in today is because of that, because of compromising people, people compromising their values, always trying to be in the center. Nobody wants to do – no politician wants to take a position on that. And I love it. You know, There's been some times I've posted some things on social media, and I said that um, uh, – <clears throat> I mentioned that uh, democracy, you know, the problems that democracy have, and people always come back and say, well, we're, it's a good thing we're a constitutional republic. <laughs> have you heard that? <clears throat> yeah, someone told me that. In person was I was like thinking, yeah, Dude. thank goodness we're voting. Thank goodness we're voting for people, for politicians to represent us in a uh, system of voting for people mm-hmm. because that's totally not yeah. democracy. Right. We have a we have a constitutional republic built with a system of what we call democratic representation. The people vote for their representatives democratically. <clears throat> so we're still uh, performing the only type of uh, democratic representation that actually works in a large country. Now, if you have a village or a small town like Athens, small city, you know, three, four, five, six, seven thousand people, you can run a direct democracy sometimes. With it, but when you have three hundred and sixty million people in your country you end up having to have democratic representation, especially in an age of, of low technology, you know. So all the things that we're experiencing are caused by democracy automatically steers people to centrism. And since, uh, democracy, not only does it automatically uh, steer people towards centrism, it also steers people towards socialism because socialism and and populism and centrism and populism go hand in hand. So I'm not big on populist positions. I, I I do like it under certain circumstances, but generally speaking, I'm not a big fan of it because it's another form of centrism. They might say it's it's anti-globalist populism. <clears throat> well, and and that's good. 
when it comes to globalism. But it's bad when it comes to everything else. You know, we wouldn't have problems with all this stuff if uh, we didn't have universal suffrage, though. I know. That's what caused it. That's what that's what elected Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Universal suffrage for, for, is an issue. Think about importing all those people and all that universal suffrage and everything. We'll have mm-hmm. another type Roosevelt type, but we're we'll have five terms. We'll have a dictatorship of the proletariat. <laughs> well, well, think think about this. It was uh, LBJ who disliked black people immensely, and at the same time, put policies in place just to get them to vote for Democrats. So. You know, he he just to get him to vote for Democrats, even though he personally disliked black people, he was he was racist as hell. With the term race, he is definitely uh, racially biased against them, definitely biased against black people. So didn't didn't stop him from running after their vote though. You know, so <clears throat> that's this is what I'm saying. You know, we don't we don't have a system that that's really that great. Not an, it, it. It was great, great society. In the that was that was the boomers. Yeah, it was the boomers, and it was FDR. It was the it was both the the uh, World War II generation and the baby boomers, both of them together. They voted you can, for you Johnson. You can thank them for for what the country looks like right now. They voted for they voted for Kennedy. Mm-hmm. The yep. centrists will say we you can't are, say anything um, about Ken- the centrists will tell me you can't say anything about Kennedy, you can't say anything about Abraham Lincoln. Why? <laughs> because Abraham Lincoln's a beacon for America. He's the best president of all time. Why? Because he ended slavery. And uh, why does that make him the best president? <clears throat> because uh, slavery was bad and the South was doing it. Okay. Well, I won't disagree that slavery is not a good thing. People, sh- Humans shouldn't own other humans. Um, I'll say that the the, the Emancipation Proclamation did not end slavery. But but yeah, why does why does ending slavery make him the greatest president though? Because Um, uh, many many millions of Americans doing it. When in countries like Great Britain, they just basically the government went in, bought up all the slaves, turned them loose. I'd say he's the worst president we've ever had. One of the definitely one of the four worst presidents we've ever had. Yeah, he habeas corpus. He uh, he disallowed it from on people who were mm-hmm. uh, reporting on it in the north about the war. Um, right. He used concentration style camps for. Uh, Confederate soldiers. Um, 
he uh, uh, he did a lot of crappy shit. That's what he did. He was horrible. He said that he'd um, do away with the Constitution if he felt he had to. Yep. And he did. And he said that he he also said he didn't think that black people were white people. He also said that if he could end the war without freeing black, without ending slavery, he would. If he thought by keeping slaves, then that it would keep together, he would do that. If he thought that ending slavery would keep the country together, he would do that. <clears throat> he was he was so. double mind. He was so double minded. I think well, I he, think that represents centrism, though. Well, he and it does, and he and he he wasn't he he didn't care about the slaves. That was political maneuvering, and he wanted to release uh, a group of voters into the South, into the Southern states that would vote Republican, because after all, they freed the slaves, right? So he's re- he, they free the slaves, and then re- and then release those people into the South to vote. Those are Republican votes as far as he's concerned. Millions of Republican votes. <clears throat> but, you know, so I guess in the end when it's all said and done, uh, I don't see Jordan Peterson as really being a boon to to us and where we're trying to go. I don't see him as, as helping out the conversation. He's not, he's not doing anything about um, the falsehoods of, of political correctness. Falsehoods of equality, uh, sexually, uh, I don't know, or racially, because he, he's he's um, inconsistent on the two of them. Um, I don't see that he's he's at doing anything to advocate meritocracy in the country. I don't see that that he's done anything at all in any of his in any of the talkings that he's done, other than attack feminism. Other than that, and oh, and correctness on on this. But I mean, beyond that, I mean, other than that, he just—he seems like he's on his way to turn into a doctor, another Doctor Phil. You just need to clean your room, clean your room, <laughs> and wash, wash your penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go back to everybody. If you if you just just go wash your penis, be okay. <laughs> Oh, uh. <laughs> that's, that's he he offered yeah. that clean your rooms um, does offer some good psychological truth, and he's got good psychological truth as a source as a uh, Jungian psychologist. Um, however, he's um, um, however uh, having influence from Jacques Derrida. Has has probably um, sl- slowed his mind a little bit. <laughs> well, I would I, I I would hold that against him, the fact that he's influenced by Jacques Derrida. But but the problem is is that Hoppe was influenced by Marcusa. Yeah, or, I mean yeah. I mean uh, Habermas and Gottfried. But, but Gottfried Hop- was influenced by Marcusa. But but Hoppe and Paul and so, Gottfried. Maintain a race realist position. Well, I mean that's true, 
I, I, I mean, but, but I guess my point is, is that <clears throat> I, I can't hold Derrida. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Against him. And though, though your point is made, I mean, probably of all of the people in the concept of, in that tradition of thought, the continental philosophy tradition, uh, I think Derrida has, has done an incredible amount of damage. Incredible amount of damage uh, to a lot of the ways that we think. Which is sad that a lot of continental philosophy veered so hard to the left in later years. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that analytical philosophy isn't often on the left. It's more often on the left than it is the right. But continental philosophy is definitely where we find a lot of these problems. And, you know, we find a lot of uh, centrists and leftists in continental philosophy. So I, I just think that we wrongly lay the, the idea that <clears throat> that uh, I, I think that the center, when it comes to some of these issues like that, they're dishonest. And they're really more or less, there's no different from the leftists and the things that are damaging the country. That's all. But, uh, uh, so, I mean, we're down to about 18 minutes. I think, I don't know if I have too much more on this subject to, to go over tonight. What about you, David? Do you have any topics you want to touch on for the last 18 minutes or you want to wrap early tonight? Did I lose you? I think Jordan Peterson. In the end, he's uh, he's got he's he's influenced by Nietzsche, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll say probably not even all the way by Nietzsche, uh, even though he claims to be influenced by him. Um, he. Um, He's he's a practical classical liberal of the um, of the sense of that um, I I don't even think a classical liberal a classical classical liberal um, would even latch onto his ideas because they they wouldn't I think they would know that culture is important. We've been watered down to the point to where we think that culture isn't as important as we think it is, but it's very important, and that's what the alt-right is right about. And Jordan Peterson criticizing the father um, um, as the alt-right is um, worshiping the father figure. Um, it's uh, it's untenable. Silly. It, it, it's well, not even, even a real did. criticism. But what even makes if it they bad? Did worship a father figure. Yeah. What makes it bad? And the point is, is if you look at children, uh, if you take single parent households and you take children and you put and children that were raised in a single parent household where the father was a single parent versus where the mother was a single parent, statistically speaking, those children turn out better. Now. Do they get all the nurturing they would always get from the mob? Probably not. That's the reason why you need a mom and a dad. However, 
thing they need in a lot of cases more than the nurturing is the discipline. And they need, they need to see that, that father figure, his, his, you know, the discipline, uh, talking about doing right and wrong, logic, things like that. So, yeah, you know, if they worship the father, then you know what? I, I take that as a compliment, not as a negative. One of the reasons why the United States and Western societies and Western cultures in general have been so successful is because we're patriarchal, and I'm proud of that says a lot about the West. We're patriarchal society. And we've also come to become the most successful societies, the most wealthy societies. A lot of reasons for that. You know, we realize that like so, most, yeah, most matriarchal societies have, well, they're in the ash bin of history. Mm-hmm. And I think it's ironic that Peterson of all not people relevant. would – well, yeah. But, I mean, a Peterson of all people would attack somebody. They worship the father. And then he's, on the other hand, he busted his – he busted into you know, the limelight, talking about feminism and attacking it. All right? On a regular basis. So it's a little bit ironic, if you ask me, and, and a little bit. There is there's you know, a bit of irony, kind of. Yeah, and maybe and maybe a little bit of uh, um, something we need to look Yacht at more. Yeah, catching up with him again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking Barrett, man, what what a low life. Um. <laughs> That, that's a definite. Derrida. That's why I can't figure out why everybody thinks Derrida is so fucking great. You know, he's one of those guys that made these super complex arguments because he had to try and justify points of view. He basically had a point of view coming into things and created super complex, twisted arguments in order to justify his shit. I'm not saying he wasn't brilliant in his arguments and that they don't make sense. I'm saying that. He inverted. He inverted a lot of shit. I mean, he 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 kind of came in with it with a with a, a agenda when he he's you know when he was around. He had an agenda for sure. Uh, but that, but Peterson up, Peterson that, is is go ahead. That solace that solipsism rubbed off on to <laughs> I, I guess so. I guess so. Um. You know, I I don't know. I I think that Peterson is, uh, like I said, he, he's got his place. But and 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 we're none of us are perfect. I'll say that also. No. no. But he he's just remarkably inconsistent when it comes to these issues. If you if you start Especially looking at his position on equality. Right. When you, when you start looking at at issues like the alt right and equality and meritocracy, and then looking at at feminism and political correctness and so on, how can you how can you take on and bash political correctness and feminism, and then turn around and bash meritocracy and patriarchy? Because basically, the the point I guess here is, I mean, is he is he squeezing into the center? I don't know. That's what I was if about you, to say. If you don't have, 
Yeah, well, yeah, if he's squeezing into the center, that explains a lot. But the problem is, is that you, you don't get to do that, all right? You can't bash a meritocracy. You can't, you can't say that you support the idea of a meritocracy and then turn around and say that, you know, well, you got to have a quality of outcomes and a quality of, quality of this and that all human beings are essentially the same. You just have to take them and put them in the right culture and the right environment because we know that that's not true. And the statistics and the experiments that have been done and the results that we've seen do not bear that point of view out. And for you to just to just completely shit all over it and insist that all humans are the same in spite of the mountains of evidence that we're not all the same is just an, I mean, absolute, complete, full-on, top-shelf cuckery. I mean, it's one of the most he, – he's cuckolded on that issue so badly. Yes. On the issue of race, so badly, which they, I mean, he's he's basically a cuck. He is. Now, I'll just I'll just say it. He is exactly. He is the epitome of a cuck. And guess what else he is? A baby boomer. So that maybe the blind, people that though. say this stuff about yeah, well, maybe the people that say that boomers are the are a lot of the problem. I mean, what can you say? They they certainly cater to those ideas. They they voted for Johnson. He he wasn't old enough to vote for Johnson, but but yeah. the people born in forty six and forty seven were well. But they, but you know what's really messed up is well. I was just thinking that earlier. People born in the, the, a lot of people were born in forty six, forty five, forty six could have voted for Johnson. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It's but there's you know it's one of those things I guess we have to accept. Yeah, it's they for, people born in forty six, forty five, forty six, forty seven. That was the beginning of the boomer era. So, mm-hmm. and the stop well, forty five. People born in forty five as well. Nineteen forty five are baby boomers as well. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, again, once again, you know, we find ourselves looking at a situation. I mean, like I said, we're not all perfect. The, the problem is, though, is that is that the difference, the, the disparity between those positions that he holds is so far, they're so illogical that that right there, that that is reason. Because I I started out really kind of a Jordan Peterson fan, and that particular that. The two, the inconsistency is so illogical between those two positions. They're so far apart. I mean, I, that that's one of the reasons why I stopped. I mean, I was immediately, as soon as I saw that on a couple different occasions, I immediately became not a Jordan Peterson fan. Immediately. And really, I don't see any difference between that and Ben Shapiro. If you want to be honest, that guy's a clown. Well, I mean, seriously though, he 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 attacks feminism, transgenderism. He goes after liberals on socialism and economic issues, and so on, et cetera. And then turns around and he's and he goes again after people on political correctness. And then he turns around and takes 
an equality type position, which leaves no real room for true meritocracy. He's meritocracy on some positions, but just to show off, he's well, a, uh, he's he's showing he's a good well, person. Well, where's the cutoff where you support meritocracy and you don't? On on racial issues, he will not he will not be right wing. On on in my opinion, on SJW SJW what? On on SJWs and feminism, mm-hmm. he won't be left wing. But on race, an issue which is controversial, he won't he won't take the plunge. He'll just he'll just do it. Whatever he's told yeah, by but, Fox News. Uh, but I'm sure he's in line with Fox News every bit of the way. But race is an SJW position. And SJWs, the foundation, the very foundations of the SJW position on race is the idea that all humans are the same on total yes. human equality. All right? But so the a, thing is, yeah, you, you cannot say that you're for meritocracy of any kind. If you are not realistic on the idea that not all people are equal for various reasons, some of it's racial. You don't get to say that. You know, on the basketball court, I'm not equal to LeBron James. On the football field, I'm not equal to Tom Brady. That's right. You're not equal to, uh, uh, you know, certain certain Albert Einstein. Or, yeah, we're not equal to Albert Einstein. He's Jewish. Would you, you just? We have to accept the fact. And they said, "Well, yeah, but you know, they have their brilliant people in this race and that race. Those were exceptions, right?" Okay, and we just said that there are exceptions. There's just not as many. We have to be willing to make certain uh, – we have to be willing to accept the fact that when it comes to things like um, community violence, like violent, violent crime and different, different negatives or bads in society, that we're not equal there as well. If we're not equal in ways that have to do with success in society, intelligence, athletic ability, um, uh, so on, et cetera, then, we're, then, who's, then how could we all be equal based on um, bad things? You know, black people and white people, I mean, you go and look at certain sports, we're not equal in those sports. And we all know that some black athletes, they just, black athletes in some sports, they just, there's no, nobody can compete with them. That's just the way it is. We've accepted that. In the end, we realize that centrism and the thoughts of Jordan Peterson and people like that, it's an ideology of not taking a controversial position just to appeal to the masses to show that you're a good person. It's yeah. I guess I guess that the the takeaway from this the red pill is that centrism 
is nothing but one massive fucking virtue signal. That's the whole thing. It's the, it's the substitution of, of a virtue signal for intelligence, rational argument, for everything. And then to try and play it off as some kind of wisdom when it's really not. It's actually the ultimate stupidity. Even people on the left often have more wisdom and, and uh, intelligent positions than centrists do. And I'd say even so, some libertarians, libertarians think like centrists in some ways. They sure do, and it's a real detriment to the libertarian movement. Centrism, centri- being a centrist is not a position of wisdom. It's absolutely not. It's a horrible, horrible position to be in because you've essentially based your entire position on a virtue signal. Trying to be in the middle of everybody. So, I don't know. Well, I guess this about wraps it up. Go ahead. You want to... Last thing in there, David. I'll, I'll say, I'll say Jordan Peterson. Yeah, even though he's, um, even though he's bad on politics, he's I st- and he's wrong about the alt right. Well, he's like, he's right about the alt right that they identify with the father or worship the father. I take that as a compliment. Like I take that as a compliment. As being part of it. Yep. So do I. All right, so David, you get the last hit in tonight. All right, everybody out there, uh, it's been a good show. We appreciate it. Thanks, David. Yep. Thank you.